Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. I'm Greg O'Keefe and I'm joined as ever by Patrick Boyland, co-correspondent on the Blues and we are of course reflecting on the game against Villa, if we must. <laughs> A few more telling uh, issues caused by the game against Villa and looking ahead as well as uh, looking at, at what we've been up to on the site, on the app this week, looking ahead to another huge game for Everton as the season really homes into the final stretch against West Ham on Sunday. Paddy, I hope you're well, mate. I'm sorry that you had to be, <laughs> that you had to cover that game. It, I, I could sense from our chat afterwards that it was the usual mix of frustration and um, just a bit soul-destroying when they turned in a performance like that, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> you're well, mate, apart from that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, fi- I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all right. Um, better than I was on Saturday, certainly, Saturday evening. I think it's just that it's that mix of knowing that you're having to write about a poor performance and a defeat and a defeat that fans obviously aren't going to take well with just the sheer cold of Goodison. So you end up just sitting there in your, sitting there in your seat, quietly seething for two, three, yeah. <laughs> two, three hours at a time. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not the best blend, but look, I was at a, I was at a live Premier League game. However, it panned out that that's obviously a, a privilege. Um, and, yeah, loads of talking points, I guess, to discuss from what happened because I, I think there are kind of wider themes that tap into the malaise almost that, that set in this season. Absolutely. Well, you know, afterwards, Carlo Ancelotti um, repeated something that he's done in the past when he was prompted to talk about the players' attitude and spirit. He said that the attitude was just simply wrong at the start of the game and rightly uh, surmised that it was a big opportunity missed. We've heard that before, haven't we, in this strange up and down season. Um, it reminds me of when he's spoken out uh, off the top of my head, Wolves last season, um, Bournemouth after Wolves last season. You know, Sometimes it's easy to... Wolves was the more high-profile car crash because that was when things still felt in the balance. But, um, you know, obviously there was a... After that, there was the added disappointment. And I think sometimes what worries me is it's still in this squad to do what happened against Bournemouth as well, uh, you know, a team that were relegated. Um, and we saw it on Saturday, Saturday evening when it mattered. Uh, the first half was just aimless as one way, terrible another. Was Ancelotti right to be as outspoken? He's very protective as players normally. Uh, and he, he adjusted that a little bit afterwards. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? He's, he's known, rightly so, as a very good man-manager. But certainly in the time that he's been at Goodison, I think we've both known press conferences to be or to follow a familiar pattern. And when Everton lose, particularly at home, he goes to that crit- criticism over a lack of effort, a lack of fight, a lack, lack of endeavour. I'm sure. I'm sure some people 
listen to this will completely agree with what he's saying and and kind of be be shouting at us now. Um, yeah, he's entirely right, Carlo, in in his assessment. I wrote in my match piece that I felt that that just did the wider issues at the moment a little bit of a disservice. Mm. Obviously, there are injuries. On a, on a personal level, I, just, I don't see a lack of effort. I, d- I don't see a lack of players trying. What I do see is players trying and things not coming off. I do see a lack of bravery in possession, people taking the easy option as opposed to the difficult one, the one that maybe is, is higher risk, but obviously yields a higher reward as well. Yeah. And I also saw a whole load ro- wrong with the way Everton approached the game. So I, I have to be honest, it, it, I'm, I'm not saying Tom Davis would have turned zero points into one or zero points into three, but I'm a little bit baffled that Tom Davis is, with Ducore injured and not playing in recent months, I'm a little bit surprised that he's fallen so far down the pecking order. Now, now Delph's come back from injury and we know he's an experienced head and Ancelotti's going to privilege that kind of thing in the main. But I don't think Tom did an awful lot wrong, and certainly not as a number six while Alan was out over Christmas. I thought he was pretty solid, showed that he developed in that position, certainly as Everton's best ball winner in there alongside Ducore. And it's almost like that blueprint has almost been ripped up, <laughs> completely ripped up a little bit, and, and it, in its stead, something altogether more one-paced and slightly more attack-minded as as uh, as replaced it so so Gomez in there with with Alan I mean I I posted this on Twitter today and it's in the piece as well there's a screen grab of the move that leads to Ross Barkley hitting the post mm. and I'm not messing there is no Everton player there can be no Everton player within about 20-30 metres of him when he picks up the ball in the centre of midfield shocking I've seen I've, yeah, I've seen the one that you're talking about it's, it's baffling isn't it Obviously, that's that's a snapshot in time, like any screen grab. But as you're watching that live, that was indicative of, of more extended faults in Everton midfield, wasn't it? There was just too much space and time afforded to Villa. Yeah, well, I, I did I did say in the piece that although there were specific circumstances for that instance, i.e. Everton had lost possession high mm. up the pitch on the left flank and it was a counter-attack. I did also point out that there were six, seven, eight other examples, even in that first half, that I could have picked picked up on. Because let's be honest, not not to sugarcoat anything, but uh, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Villa could have been out of sight at half time. They they had numerous chances, hit the woodwork a couple of times before the break. Thought Jordan Pickford was was excellent in goal and and kept Everton in it in the main. Um, so something was structurally wrong with that side. As uh, look, you. People might agree with the criticism over the attitude and the spirit. My personal opinion is obviously there are weaknesses in the side when, when players are injured. They miss Hammers immensely when he's not there. They miss Ducore immensely when he's not there. There are other areas they will need to improve over the summer and we'll get to that. But I also think that if, if we're being frank, the setup and the approach probably wasn't right against Aston Villa. They just cut through Everton time and time again. That's not about attitude. That's about tactics, in my in my, in my opinion, at least. I think you're right. Um, I think tactically, it it was wrong, wasn't it? Um, and and your points as well. The two go so often hand in hand. Your points to selection, and it's easy to dig individuals out. And and so I'm low too. But sometimes again, it's difficult when when you're trying to find out why. That first half was so bad and you look at personnel and you look at Andre Gomez, we've discussed it at length. I'm wondering what what's the issue there? I mean, what he's not quick. 
we know that. So let's talk in, in the transition when the opposition get the ball before we talk about the on the the, the offensive. He isn't going to be pressing quickly, and he's not going to be able to zoom back and recover possession and get up back in front of Ross Barkley. That's just not his game. Um, you know, and equally, you know, you've got Gilfie Sigurdsson in there, who's many things, but he's not quick. And defensively, he, he'll work and work and work, uh, uh, sort of like one medium pace. You know, he'll get up and down the pitch, but he's not going to zip back if you've got a fast midfield that are breaking against you. It leaves you terribly exposed. And then you do begin to wonder what, like you say, yeah, we're trying to be attacking. And I don't think any Evertonian would, would want us not to be. But sometimes it, there's different ways to, to do it. And when Tom Davis was playing regularly, we were getting more or less getting results, weren't we? In the absence yeah. of Alan, we missed Alan, absolutely. But we were getting results. It might not have been the most easy on the eye, but neither was Saturday. And you know, ne- yeah. neither was <laughs> the results. Tottenham was a bit better. But then before that, Brighton, just, you know, it's uh, it's baffling. My, my theory, mate, and I, I don't know if you go along with this, but my theory is that what we've seen this season shows that Abdullah Ducore is Everton's most important central midfielder. I just look at the results. I mean, it, I think it's one win in eight in the league in his absence. And that was against Arsenal, which obviously could have gone either way, as, as, as we spoke about last weekend. Um, without Alan around Christmas, I was quite fearful, really, given his importance to the side. I was quite fearful of as to how results would go because it was a difficult fixture list. And I was thinking to myself, Ducore and Davis is, is solid on paper, but... Yeah. Is it going to give you everything that Ducore and Alan does, the, the favoured combination? But Ducore mm. and Davis actually forged a really good partnership. I think it was based on Ducore's legs and energy and his abil- ability to solve problems. And the fact that Davis effectively became Alan, a, a, a kind of a scouse, watered-down version of Alan in, <laughs> in, that, in, that, in that run. What we've had since, Alan's come back as being a bit rusty. Ducore's been injured. And the results have, have dropped off dramatically. And I think that what says for me is that certainly while Gabamin's injured, I don't think Everton can replace Ducore in that midfield. He's the one that has those kind of unique traits that that help the side in, in transition, as you mentioned earlier, getting up the pitch, getting back, all those kinds of things. And my, my conclusion in the match piece was effectively, Ducore's not being ruled out for this West Ham game at the weekend. But his return might actually even have come too late already because uh, they, they, they effectively now with, I think it's, is it six games left of the season? Uh, five, five games left of the season. They effectively need to win four, five out of them to, to stand a chance, I'd suggest, of, of Europa League. What, what, do you, what do you make of that Ducore theory? Is, is he Everton's most important central midfielder or am I, am I talking nonsense? No, you're not talking nonsense at all. Um, I think in a, in a sense, for Everton's midfield to be fully functioning and for the better elements of it to be allowed to function offensively, uh, he is probably the most important cog um, because he's got legs. You know, Alan, Gomez, Sigurdsson, that sort of half triangle, if you, if you think about it, not that they played a triangle on Saturday, but, you know, if you imagine in front of the back four, you know, we had, say, Alan, Gomez, deeper. Sigurdsson was pushed more forward, wasn't he, against Villa? There's no pace at all, really. Alan, again, can get it about the pitch, but there's no drive or pace over distance. Whereas when Decore opens up those big, long legs, and remember last season, Angelotti spoke about vert- moving vertically up the pitch. 
It's DeCorio helps Everton do that. On occasion, Tom Davis can too. Otherwise, you've got Sigurdsson who, for whatever reason, I, mean, I know he was a bit further forward, but doesn't seem to have the legs he once did when he ran, he ran games a little bit at, at Swansea in that brilliant sort of prime season. So he'll te- he'll be technically brilliant. He'll get the ball wherever he is, but he'll look to move it on and then move into space. He's not going to carry it forward. Andre Gomez kind of will carry it forward at very much at one pace and then may or may not produce a pass through the lines. These days it's hit and miss. Um, I I think you're right. I think you really, we can't underestimate how important Decore is just getting Everton up the field. So it'll be massive if, if he can feature and, you know, obviously uh, they'd be reluctant to risk him given it was a fairly serious injury. But if there's any suggestion that he's okay to play, I'd be saying you need you need him. You need him in that starting lineup, even if it's just for an hour. Uh, yeah. Against West Ham. Because one thing West Ham have got, and I think uh, it's a point you made, West Ham have got a lot of pace, haven't they? So if my fear is if we were to go into the game on Sunday with a similar lineup, it might not be pretty. Yeah, I'd, I'd see some similarities between Villa and West Ham, actually. Certainly in terms of the way they like to break through central and wide areas for Ross Barkley, Reed, Jesse Lingard, who's in even better form, or Ollie Watkins up front, who I thought was absolutely fantastic against Everton, Reed, Mikhail Antonio, who came back against Burnley and looked really, really, really good, um, Anwar El Ghazi for Villa, West Ham have Jared Bowen. When I was watching West Ham against Burnley, I, th- I thought they were... What was really noticeable for me, having watched Everton a few days earlier, was the extent to which West Ham got from A to B really quickly. They were breaking a pace. They had runners, legs. It was like the charge of the light brigade whenever <laughs> whenever one of the lads in midfield picked up the ball. And Everton are kind of the polar opposite. They, they don't break with pace very much. There's a lot mm. of onus, as we know, on on hammers to, to create. I, I feel like we say that just about every week, but it's, it's absolutely true. And I also think there's there's a question over Alan. He's kind of, he's, he's not a number six as such. He's not necessarily the guy that's just going to sit in because he likes to go and hunt the ball. And he's a very mm. good player in his own right. But I think he does like to go and hunt the ball. And what that means is the guy alongside him needs to be able to fill in those gaps when he does wander. And I think Ducore does. Ducore is intelligent. He's a really intelligent player and he'll sit deep and he'll absorb stuff and then he'll break. Davis will do the same, even though it's not ideal in terms of a partnership because they don't give you a lot of legs. If it's Gomez, Gomez can't recover. He's, he's not going to be able to do that role. And, and if anything, he he's, he's in the team. I think for Ancelotti, values him on the ball. I remember having a conversation with Davide Ancelotti around December, January time. And Davide was saying, he listed three or four ball plays and he said, if we don't have these guys in our team, we have to play a more basic game. We have to play a more defensive game. And of course, he listed James. Of course, he listed Luca Dean, Gilfie Sigurdsson. But he also mentioned Andre Gomez. So they see him as a ball player. I think they trust him in possession. Mm. But because of his defensive flaws, I think he's got to work harder. I think he's got to do more on the ball to, to justify his place. So that's why I'm a little bit baffled by... Davis's kind of demotion, the fact that he's gone from being a guy that started or come off the bench to being somebody that's not even coming off the bench in, in certain matches. I actually think they, they lost their foothold further back and it meant that it was all well and good having Gilfie Sigurdsson on the pitch and Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. But after about the 30th minute, they didn't really seem to have much of a threat. 
The fear would be that West Ham might do the same. So if it's not too much of a risk to play Ducore, if Ducore is past fit medically, then he needs to come back in ASAP. And I think between him and Alan, that's a solid partnership. When you scratch below that a little bit, and even if you move away from Ducore, Davis, then I don't think there's much else. And there's certainly not much else for, for a European charge, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. And I, so I think it comes down to needing to fill out that squad and, and adding quality as, you know, rather than so necessarily just quantity. But um, a piece I've been writing today, really, a column about writing today, is that comes with, obviously, it's easier to do that if you can offer the character European football. Um, so it's chicken and egg. And then there are other issues if we don't get over the line for Europe and it might be keeping some of our better players happy and settled as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Well, talking about the summer, um, you've done a piece on the site today recording this Wednesday just after lunchtime, I'm sure with the bank holiday, like all of us, you probably lost track of what day it is, what time it is, <laughs> but what season it is, whether it's deep midwinter, early spring, summer, who knows, God knows. Um, but a squad audit piece, you've spoken to some analysts who work in a professional game and you've got put your heads together and you've come up with um, the sort of blueprint for what Everton, you feel Everton need in the summer and uh, some really interesting names as well. Tell us a little bit about that piece because... I know uh, readers on the site today are, are really enjoying it and I found it fascinating uh, looking at a lot of the metrics and, and even some of the data uh, platforms that Everton and other big clubs use in their recruitment. You've you've got quite an intriguing list there. Yeah, so it, it felt like a good time to do this. I don't think Europe is completely out of the question for Everton now. If if they were, as it stands, if they were to beat Villa in the game in hand, they would, would only be three points off. West Ham, who are in fifth. Um, mm. So it's it's not completely out of the realms of possibility, but I do think it's a good time with hopes fading a little bit to just look at what needs to happen over the summer. Obviously, Marcel Brand signed his new contract, his new three-year deal last month, late last month, and that, that added kind of much-needed clarity, I felt, and, and, and stability for the club heading into the summer. But again, given some of the issues we've spoken about there, some of the issues about squad depth and needing to to find starters almost in certain positions, I, I do feel as though that we almost kind of need to throw it ahead to what they're after and who they want and, and that kind of stuff. So so I, I worked with Market Insights on this piece and did the same piece last year effectively, but this is an updated 2021 version where they, they are – data-driven specialists. They they offer recruitment advice to clubs in Syria and in various other leagues. 
And then I framed the context as to what Everton, in in theory, want, what what they need, those kinds of things. So so we we work together in tandem. I mean, we've reported both of us. I think have reported that Everton are looking at that right hand side and targeting reinforcements. Seamus Coleman's been good in the main when he's been fit. I think this season, but. There's a question over his longevity and Everton have, have for, for a while now, if we're being honest, looked for a long-term successor. With further up the pitch, things a real issue and I think they'll look for a winger this summer as well. So it was kind of picking through some of the rumours, Max Ahrens and various other people that have been linked and try to kind of make sense of those from what we know and what we understand, but then also suggest alternative targets based on data and, and everything else. So an enjoyable one to put together. It, it does feel like an important summer again for Everton, Greg, doesn't it? I mean, I said the same thing last last year at the end of last season and it looked as though Everton had made strides. I think they have made some strides, but I still look at this squad. I don't know if you agree. I still look at this squad and think, certainly in terms of starters, they're probably two or three short. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Like, really interesting some of the names. I'll not go uh, too much into it for people who haven't read it yet, but... You know, right back's clearly an area that we need to look at. How do you pronounce the Wolfsburg lad's name? Reid Labaku? Reid Labaku? Should we just call him the Wolfsburg lad? The Wolfsburg lad will do. Now, he was interesting because <laughs> he, he's not one that um, that I've seen play. But the metrics that you've discussed in the piece make him sound like an interesting prospect. Yeah, I, I think he is. And, and I know our own data analyst, one of our own data analysts, Tom Warville, has, has mentioned him to me before as as somebody that would suit Everton. And I think what he meant by that is we've written before about how certainly on the Marcel Brands and Greta Steinson side of the recruitment operation, yeah. they're, they're predominantly looking for players that are under 26, have potential resale value, aren't going to cost the world, and are maybe not diamonds in the rough, I don't think that's fair, but players that can be improved and bettered and can eventually push Everton on. I think Baku is one of those guys that does that, and he's had a great season in the in the Bundesliga with with Wolfsburg. He's versatile. He can play on a right back. He can play right wing back. He can play further forward even. And players like that are going to be because money money is not going to be flowing this summer. I don't expect Everton to go out and blow two hundred million unless they make some major sales. And I'm, I'm sure you probably don't either. So I think there needs to be an an element of Everton being clever here doing things in a wildly astute way. Guys that can cover multiple positions come in come in handy. Um, and Baku is, Baku is one of them. So what, what we know is that Brands and Steinson like players that can quickly get up to speed with the pace of the Premier League, the intensity of the Premier League. I don't think Baku would struggle in either of those areas from what I've seen. Um, and he's far from the only one, by the way, but that's just one name in the piece. And I think it's also a case that, they, that they're, they're big into the idea of not having, let's say, Luca D Mark II, but somebody that can provide different elements, can can effectively do what Coleman does, which is get Everton up the pitch with his dribbling, be physical, be aggressive, those kinds of things. Dean's your creative force, but you can't always have two flying wingers, I don't think, because then you, you run the risk of getting caught the other way. So I think it's clear they need a right back. I think it's absolutely clear they need a right back, even though Seamus has been been pretty solid in recent months. Um, and Max Ahrens, as we've reported, um, at this moment in time right now is not the, the number one target. <sighs> Are you happy with that, Greg? 
are you are you happy with the fact that maybe Max Aaron's? I mean, I'm not saying that he won't come in, but at the moment, certainly the club are pursuing other avenues. I am. Yeah, I don't. Um, I hear his name a lot, but I, you know, I'm sure as, as you'll agree, I don't hear uh, his name being spoken in the, the courts as as much that you'd, you'd expect if he was as close to being an Everton player next season as some people would have you believe. So I'm not discounting it entirely, but I don't think uh, he's Everton's number one target. There's loads of interesting names in this piece and, and I'll leave you with one before we move on. But I know it, he captures a lot of fans' imagination. Paddy discussed him in, in the piece, but Leon Bailey, um, another Bundesliga target, really, really, really good player in my opinion uh, and in many, many people's opinions. And I'm sure uh, a midfield with him on the right would uh, would have a real potential next season. It really would be exciting. So uh, that's a cracking piece. Honestly, I do recommend you you, you go and have a look. If you haven't already got a subscription, it's uh, you can get a forty percent discount to read that piece and lots of others like it. Right now, you just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod to subscribe for just three pounds ninety nine a month. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, ahead to the weekend now and big, big, big game down at Olympic Stadium and against a familiar face in David Moyes. There was a time when playing against David Moyes, uh, the former manager was... uh, was no, it held no fear whatsoever. Whether he was at Old Trafford, whether he's, he was at uh, in East London, all of a sudden, like we said earlier in this podcast, it's not looking like uh, it, he's got the upper hand. Certainly, in terms of the league league position as we speak, um, and they're the form team. Um, it's going to take a big turnaround in, in the, the display we saw on on Saturday again to emphasize the point, isn't it? Um, Moyes will be right up for this. We know there's a lot of former Everton players on their staff as well, yeah. um, you know, that they're all going to be keen to make the points, keen to get an important win. Obviously not just for us, but West Ham are still right in the mix of the Champions League. So a win for them is huge too. And what they could do for their club to qualify for the Champions League, what it could do to transform their prospects. I find it massively, massively, massively irritating that we're in this position. Uh, when <laughs> it, could, it could have been us 
who were, were, were sitting there still in the mix of the Champions League. And yet it's West Ham and we're fifth, a couple of points behind Chelsea. It's huge credit to Moyes when you look at the two squads. West Ham look fit and firing and motivated. Well, we're going to need James Rodriguez back for starters, aren't we? James' return is going to be huge. Yeah, well, obviously he, he did limp out of the, the warm-up, felt his calf, as we reported, and limped out. Ancelotti, after the game, said that he thought it was a very small problem and that he should be back for West Ham. Uh, we'll get another update, I assume, on Friday when Carlo speaks to us and, and the rest of the media. Um, so fingers crossed for that one. We all know how important James Rodriguez is for Everton. We'll also get an update on Ducore as well. And I think there is, first of all, we have to give David Moyes massive credit for what he's done this season with West Ham. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I knew he was a good manager, well aware that he was a good manager, but didn't think he had this in him at this stage in his career. It kind of feels as though he's not reinvented himself as such, but he's, he's taken his model, his blueprint that he had at Everton and just tweaked it slightly for, for West Ham. And they've plucked out loads of players that you, you look at and you think, they've signed a player that Moyes would have signed at the same time if he were Everton manager. So like Jesse Lingard, for example, I, I knew when he signed Jesse Lingard, I remember tweeting saying, Lingard's going to go well under Moyes because that's a typical Moyes signing. He he works with these guys, he improves them. Uh, Jared Bowen for, plucked from Hull in the championship. You just go through that squad and it's full of young, hungry, exciting players. And what you have to say is that they're everything that Everton aren't at the moment. That, go, that goes back to what we were saying over kind of verve and aggression and pace, all those kinds of things. I think that they are everything that Everton aren't. And, and that's a disappointment because I was I was looking through the data earlier. I was looking through the, the kind of the table for the last 10, 11 seasons. And in the last 10 years, they've only finished ahead of Everton once. And you would assume, you'd assume that this season, unless Everton win on on Sunday, that that pattern is going to change, and and they are going to finally get there ahead of Everton. Everton have assembled a more expensive squad. They've spent more money since Fahad Mashiri came in. They've got a higher wage bill, and wage bill is there's a there's a strong link between size of the wage bill and where teams finish in the table. Um, so they should be doing better than West Ham. The irony is that obviously David Moyes was right in the frame, probably the favourite to get the Everton job before Carlo Ancelotti came available. That sliding doors moment, Ancelotti gets sacked by Napoli. Moyes, who probably would have come to Everton, goes to West Ham. And you're thinking then at that point, well, Everton are set up here. They're going to they're gonna lift and they're going to take off good and proper. <laughs> but with... Five, six games of the season left. West Ham are ahead of Everton and, and looking really good. I'd say for the Champions League spot, they've got an easier, they've got an easier, much easier running than Chelsea, who are probably the the main rivals for the final Champions League spot. And it's it's got to be a fifty fifty shot for them in terms of in terms of getting. And if they if they beat Everton, they're in a in a fantastic position. What what I would say is Everton are better markedly better and have been <laughs> famous last words this season Everton have been better away from home than at home and by by quite a a wide distance and that, that taps into stuff we know about them preferring to sit back and then use the ability of a Hammers or a Luca Dean to create or score and create chances for, for Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison so let's hope they've got a few players back and are actually able to make a proper fist of it. I mean, what what are you anticipating from this one? Is it 
is it going to be a difficult game, do you think? Massively so, yeah. And I think it feels to me, I think you're probably right. They need to, they've got five games left. They need to win four. If they don't win this, then it puts a lot of pressure on, even though the title will be sewn up for City on, on the last game of the season, it's still a big ass going to beat City. All right, they may well, well, they will have other priorities now uh, in terms of the Champions League and the title might be st- stitched up. So maybe not the end of the world. Wolves, you, again, you just don't know. This is a, a key game. It's a, it's a key game because otherwise you are putting yourself right in the every game is a must win. So whether or not it's avoiding defeat, I don't know. It's interesting when you talk about Moyes' recruitment and I completely agree with you. I think Everton are still suffering from mistakes made prior to Carlo's arrival. Um, and by that, you know, you look at what Moyes has done is Lingard included in a way. Uh, he signed players on the up and we've not done that enough in, since uh, for different reasons. But I'm thinking of, and I, I sort of make some apologies for it because he's had his moments this season when we've actually thought, you know, we, have we re- assessed him wrongly? But I'm thinking of Alex Iwobi who leaves Arsenal and comes to Everton. Um, you know, not arguably similar at all to what, say, Bowen did going to East London. Or, you know, I just don't sense that hunger. When I see Iwobi, really, I'm not sure performances have gone hand in hand. I know it wasn't, he wasn't meant to start. Um, but I look at Ben Godfrey and there's a player I see a lot of hunger from. Ducore. And I just, Ducore, and I just think that that's probably an area Everton have to look at. Again, that comes back to that audit piece. A lot of the players that you've mentioned, uh, you know, it's debatable whether, you know, sort of Bailey would, Everton would maybe, I don't know if Everton's up or it's slightly up and sideways. I'm not sure, you know, really, but Bundesliga is a strong league. Um, he'll have a lot of suitors. That's just an example with, with Bailey. But some of those players, you know, Everton are a big club in Wolfsburg. And then you look at some of the other options you've named in midfield and other areas. So I think they need to take a leaf out of Moyes' book down uh, down in London in the summer. Is, is recruitment, look, even going back to time at Everton, is recruitment on a sh- shoestring budget at Everton was more or less exceptional. He was plucking players like Arteta, Pinar, Jagielka, Cahill, Baines, Lescott, Stones, all these guys on a for a relative pittance and made most of them into internationals, international quality players, players with the ability to compete for European hmm. places. And I just look at this West Ham thing and I'm, I'm not saying Moyes was the right answer for Everton, by the way. I, at the time, I didn't want it. At the time, I really didn't want it. I'll, I'll be open in that. Um, but I'll, Nor did I, I have to say. Nor did I. I look at this West Ham team now and they remind me so much of an updated version of a Moyes-Everton team in just the way they go about things and the, the, the profile of players they've got, Lingard, Bowen, those kinds of guys. Even Declan Rice on the up reminds me of, I mean, remember when Rodwell <laughs> a long time ago looked like he was going to be the next big thing in midfield. Um some uncanny similarities. And I just think that they look so driven, so motivated, so energetic and so fresh that they, um, they're they causing any side problems at the moment. The, the one thing that he can't do is seemingly win <laughs> games against um, supposed big six sides. And that, that that's a hangover of his, of his time at Everton as well. So it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. Obviously, Everton fans will want to get one over Moyes. Moyes will want to get one over Everton. Uh, but it's, I mean, certainly if West Ham win that game, you can't see Everton catching them, uh, even with the game in hand. So it 
we're once again in the same territory as we were last week where it's must-win game, 100% must-win game, um, and anything else would, would probably be a disappointment. Absolutely. Well, we will see how everything go about that task on Sunday evening. Of course, we'll have all the reaction, build-up and reaction on The Athletic. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please do keep in touch. Let us know towards the end of the season, again, what you'd like us to discuss. We may well do another Q&A where you suggest the topics and we have a chat about them. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. Fingers crossed for the weekend. A huge game. Thanks very much. The Athletic.